Let's take a stab at this. Welcome to the Untitled Film Project Podcast. I am Jim Chandler, along with Justin Bradford and Jeremy K. Gover, who is also known as Jerome. A.K.A. Jerome, according to Starbucks. That's what they wrote on his cup. Jerome. Makes you sound way more intellectual. Let's just take logic for a second. If someone says Jeremy, even if I slur my speech because I'm tired, are you getting Jerome out of it? I'm spelling it J-E-R-O-M-I-E. Is that right? That is that is correct, sir. Oh. See, I don't know. I don't know how you can't understand that. I thought they were calling you like Jerome, like Jarul. You know, a little I would, if it reference. said Ja and then. Dash Romy, I would take that. Jeremy, as you and your wife would say, <laughs> <laughs> but I get for going to Starbucks and being fancy. Yeah, basic. You get pretentious. This we're talking about glass onions. Oh, speaking of pretentious, are we? the latest in the the Knives Out franchise, which begins with a whole new cast, except for one, Daniel Craig's famous detective, Benoit Blanc, who somehow finds himself invited to the same party as an amazing cast. My dear friends, my beautiful disruptors, my closest inner circle. We could all use a moment of normalcy, and so you are cordially invited for a long weekend on my private island. Where we will celebrate the bonds that connect us, and I hope your puzzle-solving skills are whetted. Ah! Because you will also be competing to solve the mystery of my murder. For those of you that got to see it in the movies in the theater, you were treated to something special. This is Jim, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I enjoyed the crap out of this movie. There was, for everything Ryan Johnson did to destroy Star Wars, <laughs> he did the equal and opposite thing to make this franchise of Knives Out even better than the original, which I liked a lot. Ryan, I really enjoyed the... Last Jedi, just so you know. <laughs> I think he did the best that he could. With I'm, a, he I'm a fan. But anyway, uh, I, I really had so much fun. This movie was a feast for everything, for, for the eyes, for the ears, for the even the costumes. I thought, I found myself going, whoever did the costumes for this was amazing. And I rarely do that outside of like a period piece or something else. It was funny. Every person brought a terrific performance. I was just blown away. I was in a theater full of grumpy critics who were laughing their butts off, as was I, throughout this whole movie. Really enjoyed it. Initial thoughts, Jeremy K. Gover or Jerome? Benoit Blanc, a.k.a. Andy Griffith. Yeah. Because that's how I, when he's talking on that's screen, take. that's all I can think of. Is, it's just an Andy Griffith type delivery. Yeah. Me. Like he watched Andy Griffith and said, you know what? I'm going to incorporate this in the voice that I do. <laughs> the cast was great. Uh, they even make Kate Hudson look good, which is which is a, which is a tall feat. Uh, acting wow. is great. Yeah. Wait, she's a beautiful woman. John Are you Light talking say. about like as an actress, make her look good? Yeah. Not oh, in terms of physical. I you were oh, no, I am talking about physical. Yeah. And appearance. Not, not a big Kate Hudson fan. <laughs> oh, okay. You're going to get canceled. <laughs> about the character that was getting canceled? Are you talking? <laughs> because that's what just happened here. I, I know. It's very meta, isn't it? Wait, are you saying, are you attacking Kate Hudson's looks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm simply saying that in every film that I've seen her in, for the most part, she's a distraction to me. She's not she's not the best actress. She's not my type of person. 
and she was great in this. Okay, well, well, so she was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, they they even made her look good. Yes, thank you. That's even I, made that. See, that's where I'm throwing <laughs> off when you use the word even. <laughs> I don't know where you're. I, I don't know what you're getting at. Here. I'm like we're both because Jim and I are like she's gorgeous. What? Uh, and I'm like eh. she has a lot of fans. Let's just say that it's good for her. Go on, Jeromey. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, the acting was great. Any other year, I put Janelle Monae into the best supporting actress category. Her performance was tremendous, and to to, to play two different people, right? Twin sisters, okay, whatever. But I'm saying one with one accent and one with another. Yeah. And to be able to infuse those two characters together and play them both separately on the screen in one film, and do it so well and be so natural. In both, I mean, again, if I hadn't seen three or four other actresses, you know, uh, where I was like, oh, that's a shoe in for best supporting. If I hadn't seen that in like the last two yeah. months, I mean, it, she would be in there, no problem. So uh, that was great. The story was outstanding. I didn't see the twists coming, which is always welcome. Yes. Because mm-hmm. usually I'm like, well, I may not know this is going to happen, but I'm pretty sure, I'm 70% sure that option's going to happen. And if it's not that, the other 30% is this other option over here. And then it's one of them, right? Right. And this, I didn't see it. And yeah. so that's yeah. always great. To the movie's credit, all the clues were there. Yes. But they weren't made obvious. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm excited to go see it on Netflix. Now I know, okay, what am I looking for? Okay, is this a red herring or is this a clue? Correct. Yep. That's exactly right. And then the last thing I'll say before I get, we get to our scores later, because I got one note for that uh, that time, is it was so good it made me want to go back and watch the original, which I was very vanilla on. When I first saw the, mm-hmm. I saw the first one in the theater also, and I was like, okay, you I know, was in this C plus maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I was in the same right. boat. I was in Major Like. Yeah. That, that was about it for the first Knives Out. I'm like, okay, I know it's, some oh, people. Very eighth grade. It was a good, yeah. <laughs> it was I like like, but not like like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> circle one, like maybe no. Uh, I was a very maybe circle, and I just thought it was very vanilla. But this this one made me want to go back and watch it, and that's for a sequel. That's saying something. Because usually, opinion. as we've talked about on this show, it's the opposite. Sure. Usually the original is great, and the sequel, on rare occasion, is good. In this particular case, it was the opposite. Justin Bradford. So you speak of the first one. I really enjoyed the first one, just in terms of the way that it was presented, the storyline, the twist, but this took it to another level. Mm-hmm. Is what I really liked how the setup of the story, the setup of the murder, the setup of everything. I will say I should have vocalized it more. I really did think it was Miles Braun, Edward Norton's character, that he was at fault, but I wasn't sure how we were going to get to that. That was the big thing. (laughs) I figured it might be him, but I wasn't sure I was going to play out, like the twist and the twins. No one's going to call that. Like There's so many things you weren't going to be able to call on how they get to the actual crime and who is dead and who's the, the, the murderer. But what I like about both of these films so far is that you're telling a story of bad people getting what they deserve. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really enjoy that part of how they're exploring these things of people that made stupid decisions or, as they say in the film, <laughs> heads get what they yep. deserve. And I really enjoy that so much how we're exploring all these different characters, their backgrounds, and the way they're able to build characters through flashbacks. I like it in the way they portray it here because it's a murder mystery. And the mystery of it is we're discovering as the film progresses why they are a <laughs> head. <laughs> and so I, but I like that aspect of it because that's how we're developing more of the story is through the flashback sequences. The big things that stood out to me that really made me laugh and appreciate the cameos in it when Yo-Yo Ma just leans in. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. There's a freaking Yo-Yo Ma in here. Yeah. And then we get to see Andrew Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim 
both of them for final appearances on the big screen. Yeah. And then also how we're getting so many just different... Serena Williams. Ser- Serena that Williams. Was awesome, who's was live in the workout yes. room. That was great. I thought it was just like a, a screensaver. But I you think everybody did. Yeah. yeah. And then boom, talks. And then <laughs> Natasha Lyonne and um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar mm-hmm, all yeah. on that Zoom session following them playing a video game that was very popular <laughs> during the pandemic. Like they were addressing all the pandemic things. Ethan Hawke. And then uh, Hugh Grant. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Is Benoit Blanc's domestic partner? Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, what? That was, that was uh, again, Disney. Barney Fife, if you will. Yes. Then. <laughs> his Barney the, Fife. The, the, Don't show me his bullet. <laughs> the, the reference that probably got me the most as someone who used to work for an orchestra was the dong. And when he says, and, I got Philip Glass to compose that. <laughs> what but, kind of reference is I, this? But do you know who that was? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It was. That's right. Saying dong. <laughs> he actually voiced the yes. dong. He got a credit in the music yes. in the music section. He got a credit for that. Did, yeah. So, something I didn't know until the credits rolled. Like how Gover loves to say Amazing. things I didn't expect yes. to your reference. Things I didn't expect to your reference was the composer Philip Glass. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. right. Who was a very divisive composer in modern classical music. For those that don't know, he's very divisive in terms like audiences will sometimes just get up and walk out because they just don't like what they're hearing because it is very modern and weird and sometimes. And it's perfect for Miles' character to choose that. All these things is what's making me laugh out loud and really appreciate the creativity and the thought behind all this and how self-aware of what type of movie it is and what it's exploiting as a film as well, too. So I really enjoy the exploration of that. And then also you have the twist of Whiskey's character actually being fairly intelligent. Which was awesome. I Uh, love that. It was so easy to write her off early in the movie as just uh, a piece of arm candy. And then she turns out to have a pretty strategic role. Everything she's doing is completely strategic. So loved all those things there. Uh, Dave Bautista... Just we get to see him in a speedo. That was that was interesting. Um, <laughs> With a gun by his gun. Yes, the 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 Daryl walking the, through scenes, walking through scenes, and like, oh, I'll, I'll talk to you. Can I <laughs> can I pause you right there for a second? Yeah. Was there ever a moment in your mind that thought that Daryl was the killer? No, no. no. He's there for fun. He was. I know, no, I know that. It, but I'm it, saying it would have been way too lazy. Yes. to yes. make him the killer. Yes. Lazy is the right word. But I think they put him in there. To, to throw some think. audience members off. Yeah. Because he, yes. he he makes two quick or maybe three quick kind of like walk through the scene. You know, it's really funny. And then yeah. like 25, 30 minutes of plot goes by and he's nowhere to be found. Everyone's like, well, wait a minute. Who did it? I was like, oh, no. So he, he uh, I, kudos to this guy who has put together two really good movies. And one of the things the that Last Jedi, I love and Glass. Oh, sorry, <laughs> stop it! That's right, stop it! <laughs> You're only allowed one Last Jedi reference, and you've used it up. <laughs> there was a couple of things that this movie did that I thought were were pretty amazing. One, I never thought I'd enjoy a movie that relived the pandemic. Okay, they were all the funny things of the pandemic, uh, but I thought, okay, there's nothing new to. Make me laugh here. There's nothing to explore. They found wonderful things. I mean, Birdie's. It's okay. I'm in my pod. She's. There's a hundred people in the room. Mm-hmm. They're all partying. You know, hilarious. You know her 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 mesh. That was my favorite face mask. That was you know, great. Which, it was hilarious. So I I really didn't think anybody could make me laugh about anything new with the pandemic. They did it, and I think this movie hit at a great time because 
I think it's a time when they called them all social disruptors when they weren't called heads. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I think the world is kind of looking at social disruptors, all these different types of characters that make themselves known to the public or impose themselves in the public in some people's eyes and show them for what they are. And we have Miles, who is, you know, the insane billionaire genius who is probably an amalgam of, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and, you know, all the insane people that went to space in the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, but definitely right now with, you know, the Elon Musk situation, he I think he, he brought out all of that stuff. It all seems to hit at a perfect time in mm. society. And this was not made three, four months ago. You know, this is so not only did he pull from the pandemic from a couple of years ago and make it really funny. He also made characters that I think now resonate that maybe didn't when he wrote it. I agree a hundred percent. You make a perfect point that I'd never thought of before is that he's actually, he took a snapshot of now when the movie came out. Right. But he shot it, you know, whatever, you know, year and a half year ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Year and a half ago. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird kind of, Fortune telling—it's just a—it's a—it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I can't write that off to luck as much as I'd like to because of some <laughs> of the products he did. But sure. Ryan Johnson, I have to give it to him. You have to give the artist credit; he nailed it, and he nailed the future when this movie lands here now. Man, it just feels like he wrote it yesterday. Not every writer director is going to have bangers. All the time. Oh no! So yeah. I mean, dude, Steven okay. Spielberg has not had. Oh gosh, has had, yeah. has had no, numerous so, films that weren't great. If he, he can have a flop, yeah, anybody, anybody can have any, a flop. Yeah, exactly. we're obviously, we're, Ron Johnson's extremely talented. Extremely, extremely talented. What he's able to get out of his actors, what he's able to get out of a script, his writing with it as well. It's not just always going to work out, and that's yeah. okay. But I think on this movie, this movie just hits on every beat. It, it, I was never bored. Fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yes, never that was bored. The fastest movie I've seen in a while because it just had this momentum that just kept going. It it like to me it filled every moment with something to feast on, and whether it was a you know an outrageous character, a piece of dialogue, a twist we didn't see. Kudos to the guy for making. I think one of the more difficult genres to do. So with that, we should probably get to our ratings. Yeah. Let's start with Justin Bradford. Okay. So what I truly appreciate about this as well, we can call it a sequel, but it's hard to call it a sequel when only one character is reoccurring, and I like that because you're not having to always base upon what they're building or base upon a Mm -hmm. previous plot or storylines or anything. You just have a consistent character, which is a detective, meaning he doesn't have to have a backstory. And I really appreciate that because they can make more of these without us having to judge, well, is the third one in the series, how is this one going to be comparatively? They can be different stories. This one's a completely different type of story from the first one in terms of yeah. how it's addressed, how the murder takes place, different and types everything, of people, different, different types different of people. Setting. I appreciate that because that means they can make a third one and only have Daniel Craig's character be the consistent and you're not always judging everything based on what happened in the past or saying, well, what happened to this character? There's a plot hole there because that's what we do. 
That's what we do as people when we've we watch these movies. We've been conditioned that, yeah. to look for potholes or look for character development holes or things like that. We don't have to worry. We can go in. We can enjoy the film as him being the driver behind it. But if Ryan Johnson wants to continue to do these things, he can without the pressure of having to remember everything that took place in previous films and just go out and make a fun film with a bunch of celebrities loaded in it that look like they're having fun doing it as well. Yeah. And you have a bunch of different ones come in and play this game because it is a game. It's it's cl- very good Clue on steroids, and I love the attacks on Clue. Stupid yes. game. I, that was I awesome, too. Love those it. things. He hates it. But that, those, those, it's the writing. The writing's so clever and creative. I want more. I want more. But I know that if I get another one, it's going to be something different. And it doesn't have to be a sequel. It doesn't have to be connected aside from that one character. And that's great. It's a Sherlock Holmes that having the backstory. It has a freedom that so other much freedom. things don't have. Yes. I love it. So with that, I give Glass Onion 8.5. Very nice. Jeremy K. Gover, Glass Onion. Okay, so this this is the one thing I wanted to get to immediately before my score, okay? Yeah. So I wanted to hold back on this one. So I had a problem with the very end, but I'm also open to maybe I'm wrong or whatever, so I'm bringing it to the room, okay? Okay. And again, as a listener, you are in the room. At the very end, Edward Norton, well, throughout the movie, he poisons through an allergy, but he poisons one person. Yes. And he outright shoots another. But at the end of the film, he has lost everything. The place is burned down, right? They're, they're just waiting for the authorities to show up. He has nothing to lose at this point. Not, not to mention that he's probably in an emotional state to where he doesn't care what he has to lose. A cornered wild animal. Right. And he doesn't, <laughs> and doesn't touch anybody? The person, I mean, that's ridiculous to me. So that well, he I had is pro- dumb. I mean, that's been established. He's dumb, right? So, so he should be more emotionally reactive. I, I think at that point he's just defeated. She touches his face. Even that would like I'm not a violent man. Yeah, but if somebody walks up to me after I don't know killing my dog or I don't know, I'm just making up <laughs> right, right? Okay, John Wick and puts well <laughs> and put, <laughs> and puts their hand on me. It's go time. I mean, just that I just know it will be. And I, so here's this guy who has shot somebody and poisoned somebody else. I see what you're saying. Had his whole weekend, uh, you know, just totally, the carpet pulled out from under, and his whole house is gone. This whole thing he built is gone, and he doesn't. And and his entire future based right. on his new fuel. That's right. Right. And, and he doesn't lay a hand on. That's insane to me. I am going to lean more Justin's way, and I'm going to say this is a man who is completely defeated and humiliated. He has been shown for what he's pulled off, you know, like for so long as being this amazing genius, like everything is gone. I think he's lost the will to be a jerk at that point. Okay. That's convenient to me. I think he's just uh, metaphorically crumpled. Well, but there would be other people there. They're finally going to stop him too. So you still get a shot in again. He has nothing to lose (laughs) at this point. He doesn't have anything to lose, but it's done. It's done. It's over. Do you think he thinks that? His character thinks that at the moment? When his house burned down, his car finally, his car that he goes everywhere with him is... Right. Finally defeated. No. Nope. Because all the other times, it's still a moment, a moment, a moment, and his meter in the fight continues to get beaten down to finally it's like, game over. Okay. That's fair, but I, I suppose, but that's convenient for me. The, okay. uh, it made me want to see the first one again, like I said, but it also made number three appointment viewing. Yeah. And I have not felt that way since Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible... I the second it comes out, I'm going to see it. But I wouldn't necessarily say that about anything that's not Star Wars or Marvel, right? You know, okay. I, I don't those kinds of projects. Indiana Jones, if it comes out, and th- forget what you've heard about it. 
If if Indiana Jones Five comes out in theaters, I will consider seeing it. I'm not. It's not appointment viewing. So this movie made three number three whenever it comes out. If it comes out, it oh, made an appointment viewing. Out. I know. I'm just oh. saying <laughs> it is it, appointment viewing for me. And so with all that being said, I gave it a solid. I mean, like rock solid seven. Okay. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it's highly rewatchable. I can't wait to see it again so I can go back and be like, oh, okay, that goes there, this goes here. Oh, I see that now. I didn't see that before. But I'm not it's it's not a movie that I'm gonna how many put points in my did upper you, echelon. How of, many points did you remove for the a convenient one? End? Just one. So it would have been an eight if he would have tried to attack. Ish. Dear God. If he was I, can't, I cannot with you. Billionaire. A, a whole point because he didn't try to attack her after he's been defeated. A whole point? It's lazy writing. That's a lazy reviewing. <laughs> I love Jerry. When the, when the whole movie is so brilliant and great, and then they just drop the ball. On, a whole point yes. for just that right yes. there. <laughs> but that's why I love Jeremy. Because or, Jeremy, Jeremy. Sorry. That is very Jeremy thinking right there. <laughs> Pardon moi, <laughs> Jeremy. That has become one of my favorite things, is for you to, like, Build something up and then take the tiniest little thing and, <laughs> and it ruins and it. demote the movie significantly. I think a point is pretty significant. It is significant. Point. But but you be you, Jeromey. I am. I Thank love you. that. What is a what is a ten out of ten? What would be a, what would be a word for that? If you give a movie a ten, it's ten. That's out of called 10. perfect. Right. <laughs> it can't be perfect if there's problems with it. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's the extreme so of what, what I'm talking the, about. What were the other problems? I'd have to think about it. Oh, <laughs> so it could have been a nine for you. No, it could have been a nine. Okay, so I what? if there I, were I three points worth of problems wa- and one point no, I didn't wa- was just because he didn't attack the twin. No, no, I didn't. What wa- were the other two yeah, points, wa- Jeremy? <laughs> Basic feeling. I didn't want Basic out. feeling. Listen, I okay, didn't wa- all right, just a second. Now, Jeremy's going to You're digging yourself somebody. into a hole. No. Because yes, I you are. I didn't walk out of the theater. Now you're feeling like Miles at the end of the movie, aren't you? It Close. I didn't walk out of the theater thinking, holy crap, everyone on earth needs to see this film. Well, no, that's that's okay. And that's what an eight and a half or a nine is, is that this is so good. Like The Woman King, for example. Apollo 11 documentary. These are all things that that you have to see. I'm not saying this is world changing. I'm just saying your number doesn't match your review. The hell it doesn't. If it's a nine or a ten, <laughs> the hell it doesn't. How did you gave a you took away a point because she didn't get attacked? I at took the away end. a point because it's lazy writing to finish. <gasps> they were like, "Look, we can't get out of this. If we have her, if we have him attack her, how are we going to get out of that? They could easily just restrain him because he has. There's four other people there that could restrain him. Thank you." We came up with that in 12 seconds. Yes, but would you have not called that lazy then? No, because at least he did something. Again, my point stands, one point because they literally didn't spend 10 seconds on him lunging. (laughs) Oh my God. If he would have lunged. This is like the Olympics where everybody gives somebody a 10 and then then the the Russian judge. Yeah, the Russian judge gives him a a five. This is Merry Christmas. I love this. All right, I'm going to let you off the hook before you lunge at me, but uh, so I'm going to... <laughs> Rafford decided to take it some of his grape a little, soda a at that exact moment. There. It's Buble. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, what you got? Tell Michael to say hello. Jimmy, let's Jerome, move on. What are Buble. your uh, This was a movie that I did go and tell almost everybody I, I could see 
you got to go see this, and I encourage you to see this while it's in the theater. The whole world, Jim? <laughs> the whole world, you say? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> I, I I haven't had this much fun at a movie in a long time. Ooh. Janelle Monet, I think, just hit a superstar level, or she's about to, because... It was for me. I've seen her in other things, and I've thought, wow, she's really good. In this one, uh, the person I attended the movie with, uh, she looked at me, and we both looked at each other, and we kind of said, like, oh, my God. She just had a coming out moment of uh, being a movie star. star. She, just the charisma that came off the screen, I'm like, she's a movie star. I loved her performance. I loved Kate Hudson's performance. I hadn't seen anything from Kate Hudson since Almost Famous. I didn't know oh, she wow. was still performing. And I thought, oh, Kate Hudson. She was exactly. marvelous. She was great. I'd forgotten that she was even in acting, and she just blew the doors off of that role. I really just thought this was terrific, and I'm giving it an 8.5. There was an air fist bump from Bradford. <laughs> I thought he was holding an invisible knife. Maybe no, was. that's in the left hand. <laughs> I'm on his Jeremy's left, to my left. <laughs> Jerome, damn it! Get it right. We did have a fan submitted question. We did have a fan submitted yes. question. And again, guys, this is our favorite Love it. type of question. Thank you. Thank we can you. Come, we have a list of like I think it's like 21 now. Yeah, there, something yeah. like that. Just hanging out there, questions. I, every one of them is under whatever question you guys come up with and send to us. Yeah, like, yeah. We want to answer your questions. First. You're good. So this one's from Chris Carter. Had this conversation recently, so I'm curious for your thoughts. What do you guys think are the top three trilogies of all time? And this is going to depend on probably generation that folks are in. Sure. Along with age, interest, everyone's going to have their opinion on this. With this group, I'm sure there's going to be at least one that overlaps. But it makes for a great topic of conversation. Let's spend a few minutes on this. And since Jim honked his way to the top, Jim, <laughs> let's start off with, with you. All right. These are in no particular order. And uh, I, I this is weird. I did not think that my maybe probably top trilogy is the Toy Story trilogy. Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 are fantastic. They're masterpieces. They did not lose anything. They gained with each film and my other two entries, I don't think uh, I can can say that. Uh, I, I see so many trilogies where I go, oh, first two, fantastic. That third one, mm, they dropped the ball. So Toy Story, I look at it, one, two, and three, loved them all. At three, I almost cried. I was scared. I mean, I never thought that Toy Story franchise would make me do that. You, know, you didn't, you don't have a heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, but they did it so well. I'm also going to throw in as uh, favorite trilogies the original Star Wars trilogy. It changed movies and how they are put out in the summer as blockbusters. There's nothing before it that you can compare it to. And uh, I'll give one of my other favorite trilogies two out of three. <laughs> I love the Alien trilogies. Mm, okay. A little outside the box one there. Yeah. Alien one, fantastic movie. Suspense. Aliens, we get James Cameron's best stuff where he just brings an action movie. 
And third one, not so great. But <laughs> it, was a, it was a great trilogy. So those are my trilogies. Uh, the Alien trilogy, Toy Story, and the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, number one is Star Wars. Shouldn't surprise anybody. It not only did it change, mu- it change music, not only did it change movies like Jim said, but we are 50, almost 50 years removed from the first one, and we're still making content about it. I still watch right. those movies. Mm-hmm. It's by choice. And TV shows and everything. Like, it's just beyond, it's beyond bonkers. That yeah. they're 50 years ago, this movie came out, and it just spawned, not only did it change cinema, but it spawned just a half a century of content. It's yeah. pretty great. So, Star Wars number one. Number two is The Godfather. And I say that because number one is a classic masterpiece. Yes. Number two, some would argue, is better than number one, which yeah. is very hard to say. Mm-hmm. And number three is horrible. But it's weighted because the first two are <laughs> so good. It's yeah. not like, oh, well, these first two movies were really good. And that one's kind of... Th- they're like masterpieces of film. We average out the score. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Right. So, I mean, yeah. They, they, Martin Scorsese or somebody could have scribbled, you know, a script on a napkin and they could hold it in front of a camera. Yes. Uh, for the third one, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola in this case. Uh, and you'd forgive it because the first two were so good. That's right. So, uh, so Godfather's number two. My number three, the Terminator trilogy. Because like n- number one introduced the masses, not only to a great action movie and you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all that. But they introduced the masses to the idea that a cyborg race might not be all hunky dory. <laughs> it might contain some bad stuff, <laughs> which would impact human civilization on a grand scale, not just like, oh, there's a problem bot over here. We'll unplug it. Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this, they can send machines back to, you know, into the future. It's not good. That so, Roomba's yeah. going to get you, kids. Yeah, that's oh, what yeah. I'm saying. So, it's going to crush your skull. And now you see it all the time. Now it's a common theme throughout movies, like yeah. sci-fi movies especially. All the Terminator movies essentially deal with it. But James Cameron, the first one, Terminator 1, yep. came out in 84, I believe. Yep. That was the first true introduction of a real-life theory of, oh, we all think robots and computers are great, but what if they learn to think on their own and then come to massacre the human race? <laughs> and then, oh, and you, we'll just use time travel also while we're at it. <laughs> right. Like, it's not good. And yeah. so that's that's number one. Terminator Two is one of the best action films of all time. Sure, it's just a, a just buckle up. It's an amazing ride, and it turns number one's film on its head. Yeah, so it brings back the star, but not in the same role. He's, a he's the same type of Terminator, but he's now he's a good guy because he's sent back from the. It's just it's great. And then number three again, I'll just say it's not horrible. I'll just say that weighted score again. Yeah, <laughs> but the first two again are so good in in their in, in the action film genre. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily filmmaking, but certainly in the action film genre. Uh, number three gets a free ride. It gets a free pass. Granted. I see what you mean. Those are my three. Star Wars 1, Godfather 2, Terminator 3. Justin Bradford. Trilogies. Okay. So I'm probably going to be the basic one here. Uh, number one for me is Lord of the Rings. I knew you were going to say that. That's is that why you choice? didn't say it? No. Or is it really not one of yours? No, no. It's really not one of mine. Okay. But I, I, if I had to rank like five, it would have been, been there. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I mean, Lord of the Rings is one of those trilogies that there are very few, if any, weak links in terms of the movies. I truly enjoy them. I will watch them every year. I'll watch the entire trilogy in about two days. <laughs> Do you watch the original movies or the six-hour director cut of each film? The the latter. I'll watch the director's <laughs> You're cut. You're that deep. Oh, I'm wow. that deep. Um, I just enjoy these films, the the, the acting, the writing, the, the scenery, the beauty behind it all, the action sequences, the fight scenes. The, all the, the the interactions between the characters as well. 
I love the Lord of the Rings as a trilogy because I feel like in this trilogy, you don't have to wait anything. It's not an attack in any other one. I feel like all three films are extremely strong. Return of the King, yeah, has a long-winded ending, but they have to wrap things up. And I understand that because I'm going, oh, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. But after I digest it, I understand how they're trying to wrap up each character story, especially in a film. In a yeah. book, it's a lot easier to pull that off. Sure. But in a film, wrapping it up, if that's the weak link, that's the weak link. And that's not that bad of a weak link. All three are very strong movies. And if I watch one, I have to watch them all. I can't just... <laughs> Watch one and be like, okay, I'm good for a few months. I'll watch the other one later. If I start with the two towers, I'm like, oh, well, tomorrow I guess I better go back and watch Fellowship of the You're Ring. Not stopping and then, at one ship. And then the Return of the King. Yeah, that's just how it is. If Bengals. I fall upon it on TV, okay, well, I'm in it for the long run. Why am I watching with commercials? Yeah. I own these. Do like, it's that kind of do thing. Do you wear diapers flip. while you wear it so you don't have to leave and go to the bathroom? I can pause. <laughs> I well, he, has pause. A, he has a TV in his bathroom, actually. <laughs> it's called my phone. <laughs> the quotable things that happen in these films that still give me chills when I watch them. The I am no man. Yeah. <sighs> and then when when Gondor shows up. And so many more. I get chills talking about it because they're powerful moments in cinema. Yeah. Not just in the movie, but in cinema where it's just done. So Peter Jackson does such a great job with it. Okay. Yeah. Next one. Original Star Wars trilogy. I don't need to go on with that. It's right. just uh, that's nostalgia. Plus, I really think it's well done. Yeah, how it changed cinema. The next one for me is the Back to the Future trilogy. Ooh, that's a solid choice. I like your out of the you know boundaries choice there because I mean, well, it's not out of bounds, but <laughs> it is. Uh, it is definitely different. Didn't see that coming. Tell us about the three movies and how they pull off. The whole franchise, do they do it consistently? So I think they do because it was, from the get-go, meant to be a trilogy. They went into this developing Back to the Future as a trilogy. It wasn't like a, oh, we need to do another one. Because they would tease right off the bat. They were teasing it. And then two and three were filmed back-to-back. Yes. So right off the bat, I love the planning because consistency is there when you're planning for it. Not just a, oh, we made a lot of money. We might as well make another one. It wasn't that type of trilogy. This was planned from the get-go. They had a story to tell about Doc and Marty, and they were going to do it in three parts. Is the third one anywhere near the first two? I don't think so. It's kind of more of a weighted scale there, but I still really enjoy it as a Western and things like that and exploring I never different saw things. It. Wow. I felt it was done really? after two. Wow. I, and it really had no draw for me at I think all. it's worth a watch just to complete oh, the story. Oh, it is worth a watch. Just to complete the story. Not this month, because we're kind of overbooked. But, <laughs> but definitely, let's say in March, when nothing's happening, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Watch like, watch two, then go and watch three, Jim. Sure. Okay. Just to get that story. And plus, Doc Brown's happiness is very important as Finish well. Finish it out. Um, but uh, one, I like the music as well. Music's iconic. When you really think about Back to the Future. Huey yep. Lewis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That is a major part of it, I yes. Know, I know, But the score is great. The acting's great. You think about how young that Christopher Lloyd actually was playing an older guy when you think about it, because now Christopher Lloyd actually looks old. He is that guy, yeah. <laughs> but back then, he really wasn't as old as they were portraying him to be. And I just, I, I love the story. This is another time travel type of thing, exploring in a different way, the, the retro aspect of things when they jump back in time and then to the future, and you start thinking nowadays, of like, what would it be now if you jumped this many years behind or this many years ahead, and what they pr- were predicting, and what came true, what did not come true. Those types of movies always interest me, but I just like overall the story and the music. So back to the future, movie number three. 
You've been listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. We've talked about our favorite trilogies of all time and also the amazing Glass Onion Knives Out franchise. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We love your input. We love your disagreements, your ideas for questions. Reach out to us on all the socials. On Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go to our Twitter, especially. That's where you can submit a lot of questions. You find our link tree. You can find all the ways you can listen to us. That's on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart. Wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to us. But make sure you give a nice like, a subscription, and a review if you like it. It's holiday time, as we all know. And so if you are looking for, I don't know, a shiny gift for us, a like and a subscription would fit the bill, I think. That doesn't cost you a damn thing. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Shipping is free. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.